0: I did this last week. Let me, let me hit it again. What was the purpose of the gospel of John? What did John say is the reason that he wrote it? All right, John. Yeah. Yes, that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, but for what purpose? That you might believe and live. Anybody got a Scripture verse in John that they can show me pointed the purpose? John 20, what verse? Good for you. All right, let's turn there for a minute. Um, this has taken… You know, I've, I've read this so many times, but i got to tell you, I've just been getting more and more excited and wound up on… This and what the Lord is saying here. So, if you look in John chapter 20, and in verse 30, the purpose of the book. I'll, I'll let me read the King James, and then I'll I have a parallel Bible. King James, by the way, you know is is the is the word for word translation from the 1600s, and the New Living Translation is a modern day translation for thought for thought translation, and it's good to to use both. I just love both. So let's look at verse 30. King James says. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. There's a lot of, there's a lot of power in that. New Living Translation says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to ones that are recorded in the book, but these are written that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. So, how many miraculous signs are really well recorded in the book of John? Eight. And if you turn, turn to page one, we list actually seven, which are prior to the resurrection. And then you might want to just pencil in number eight, which is after the resurrection, after the betrayal. And it's the overwhelming catch of fish in Acts 21. And we're going to look at that tonight as well. Um, but I want you so stay on page one for a moment. And let me ask another question. When was John's gospel written? What what year? 85 to 90 A.D. Why is that significant? Jesus died at 33. So Jesus has been dead 60 years. Well, He's alive, but He was resurrected, and He's no longer on earth. The Holy Spirit is in Acts chapter 2, right? So get this. All the other apostles, those who were part of the eyewitness accounts, have been martyred. They're gone. John, the old man, is now faced with a church that's emerging. There's all sorts of Gnosticism and false beliefs, and John says, "'I need to write this account.'" He, we, we read this in men's group Monday night. It was awesome. I'm getting zapped right now. I'm not sure what the Holy Spirit's doing. He says, yeah, I like this. But anyway, in First John, if you'll read it, he, it's the same. If you read First John chapter 1 and 2, and then you go back to the gospel of John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But the, what's amazing is John writes in that First John, I was an eyewitness. I saw it. I handled Him. I was there. And now I've written it that you might believe. That's really important, I think, to me. And so, when you have an eyewitness account, if, how many of you have ever seen a miracle occur? Come on, raise them high. Once that happens, I don't know about you, I've seen, I've shared some of them. I've seen some amazing things, and, and I long for those, right? And it's one of those, you know, the old nuclear engineer in me that had to see it, smell it, taste it, measure it. When, when that left brain got whacked and came over here and saw things, there was times when I would go, wait a minute, did I just see what I just saw? Did I really see that leg go straight? Did I see that white eye just go brown? Did I see the tumor fall out of that lady and it's right? I mean, come wait a minute, uh, hold on. i got to get a hold of myself, right? And I would go, you can't unsee those things. So John is saying, look, I've recorded eight events that I have written. There are many. We're going to look. He says, if, "If, in fact, he says, if, if we had recorded all of the events that had happened, There would be so many volumes, it would be hard to contain it, right? But he says, these eight are enough to prove to you that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, the one I saw, the one I handled, the one I saw resurrected, the one I saw dead, the one I saw do all these things. If you'll believe that He is the Messiah, you're going to live. So these are important. If you look at that, that outline and listing there, in uh, the 1 through 7, and add number 8, the overwhelming catch of fish after. When you look at them changing the water to wine, we covered a few of these last week. We're going to dig a little more in this week. Changing the water to wine, who was most impacted by the changing of the water to wine? Say again? The disciples, right? And maybe Mama. Mama probably was the one, her faith, right? We went into that thing, we said... Woman, it's not my time. You're making me, you're asking me as your son to do something that is not scheduled in Father's calendar right now. Remember he said, woman, it's not my time. And she didn't argue with him. She just turned to the the servants and said, do whatever he tells you to do. And she went over here. Now, I don't know if she was praying, but here you got Jesus stuck between honor mom who says, go make wine, and dad who he's not doing it because Jesus only did what dad was doing, right? Right? So, he's like, I wonder if Jesus said, Dad, what do, you, what do I do with Mom now? You ever been stuck between Mom and Dad? <laughs> yeah, right? Mom usually wins, I'm just, my experience, anyway, in my household. So, at that point, the father probably said, son, we're making wine tonight. Go honor your mom. And pulled in out of season which is an amazing… Te- you, can, you can accelerate something that is not in the Kairos plan of God by your prayer and honor. There's something in that. We'll just leave that as a sidebar. So, here we are, the water and wine, certainly mom's faith, they do it. And I, the servants who are carrying the water pots, 125 gallons of washing water, and it's taste… And then the… It's like… But it really, the, the target audience for that were the disciples, all right, What about the next one? When we look at the healing of the nobleman's son, this is a remote healing. Let's, let's turn there for a second. Turn with me to if you've got your, your, your gospel, turn to John 4:46. Chapter four, verse 46. Healing of the official son." Let's begin in verse 43. At the end of two days, this is John 4, 43. At the end of two days, Jesus went to Galilee, and He Himself had said, A prophet is not honored in His own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed Him, for they had been in Jerusalem. This is be, in. they had been in Jerusalem's Passover celebration. They had seen everything that He did there. So His, his testimony of what He had done for healings is going before Him, and it opens the door. That's what happens. The signs and wonders, we know in the book of Acts, it says, signs and wonders verify that the message that we bring is true, right? And so it says, as they traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water to wine. There, a government official in nearby Capernaum, whose son was very sick, when he had heard that Jesus had come from Galilee, from Judah to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. So this politician is pretty desperate. You got a dying child, you will go anywhere, right? And he does, and he goes to the one who he had heard from the testimonies of things they had seen back in Jerusalem. There is a healer that I need to get to. I can't bring my son because he's so sick, but I'm going to find the healer. And he finds him, and he says this, when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and he begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Now, interesting response from Jesus, verse 48. Jesus responds, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Interesting question. The official plea is basically, Hey, look, I, don't give, get my son. Get, I got my son. The official pleads, Lord, please come now. My little boy dies. Verse 50, Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. Now, this is big. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them, well, when did the boy get better? As they replied, Yesterday afternoon, about 1 o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that was the very time Jesus had told him, Your son will live. Now look at the collateral blessing here. And he, his entire household, believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. So this is a remote healing. Was it was their faith involved? Whose faith? For a des- desperate father, you know. There's a in Mark chapter five. Desperation opens the door to the miraculous. We see that with Jairus's son, right? Uh, Jairus's daughter. We see it with the woman with the issue of blood. When Bishop preached about the woman, right on Sunday, it's that place where I'm desperate. There's no other door. I gotta go here, and so the father. Could have argued and said, no, you, he, he had the belief that you needed to come so my son would be healed. But Jesus said, no, I don't. Go. Your son's well. So he had to act in faith. He's, it's a long journey. Apparently, it's, it's at least overnight. Can you imagine that night? Is dad walking all night? What is he? He's headed home. The servants meet him on the way. So this is a long journey. And he's probably, man, I sure hope, I'm, I'm believing that Jesus told me he's healed. I'm, I'm believing that because there's no internet, there's no call, out, you know, the servants meet him and say, he's well. So, the target audience there is the nobleman, the official. I don't know if he was Democrat or Republican, right? Didn't matter. Faith overrides all that, right? And so, we get this place where the government official acts in faith. So, who's the believers that get the, the blessing out of this? The nobleman. The disciples probably witnessed the man coming When a government official comes to you, there's probably some notoriety associated with that. But then how about the household? The father came home and said, I want you to know, when he activated that word and said he lives, he lived. The fever left. That's powerful, right? Just say the word, right? And so that was today's intercessory prayer. It's just when the word is spoken, right? Okay, number three, in the healing pool of Bethesda, let's turn turn to chapter 5. I preached on this a few weeks back in verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem to the Jewish holy days, chapter, one, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda and five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. Get a, get a picture of that. It's a sick place. Sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, laying on the porches, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Now, that's sick. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir. Now, here's, here's one of the dangers of formula believing in faith. The only way you get healed at the Pool of Bethesda is when the water gets stirred up, when the angel shows up, and the first one in the water gets healed. The rest of you, sorry. So that's got to be, when that water starts rolling, you can imagine, was there a fight going on? Was there a pushing going down? Get me in there quick. Are they right on the edge? I don't know, but this guy has no one to help him. He's been sick, really sick, and Jesus, and he says, I can't. So is there any faith involved in this healing? Not on his part right? Well, faith in the water and the angel, but because I didn't meet the conditions of the formula that has worked in the past, therefore I can't ever possibly be healed. That's a danger we all got to watch out for. Jesus only acts this way. I've seen Him do it this way, therefore this is the way it's done here. That's the way we do it. Hello. Watch out. So you put Jesus in a box and, well, so the only faith involved here is really Jesus' faith, Or maybe faith in the water being stirred by the angel. I have no one to put me in the pool, verse 7. And when the water bubbles up, someone always gets in ahead of me. Jesus tells him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, I'm sure he tried to pick up his mat and walk in the past, right? If you're sick and paralyzed, you ever try to get up? (laughs) At least to go to the bath, to something. He's tried, Right? And so Jesus kind of opens up the place of faith here and says, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. Now, was it the word that activated the healing anointing that broke the spirit of infirmity? Was it the man laying there and didn't argue anymore and started to? And we don't know. All this is says, instantly. So there's something in the power word that's spoken. I'm going to preach on this 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 weekend, about the Word and what happens in your words. Be very careful about what you say. And so, there's this place that the man is activated by the words that are spoken, and instantly, he begins walking. The miracle happens on the Sabbath. So, the Jewish leaders objected because you're not allowed to carry your mat. One of the 600, is that right? You guys know. How many rules? 630 rules? 613 extra rules. That were kind of added by the Pharisees and Sadducees. So if you broke one of the extra rules, you weren't religious enough. And so this guy's just gotten healed, and he's carrying his mat. I mean, he's like, I can walk. While I got... Where'd you get that mat? Why are you carrying the mat on Sabbath? And so... And do you know that Jesus had to know he did that? I mean, come on. It's almost like, I like to violate the religious stuff. I mean... How many times did he heal on the Sabbath? Remember the man with the withered heart? And he said, your sins are forgiven. And they go, what? You can't say that. You're not going. He goes, okay, I'll just say this. Be healed. And he's healed. Hey, now it's the Sabbath. You can't do that. You can't do work on the Sabbath. He goes, wait a second. If your donkey or something fell in the ditch, you're going to leave him there until tomorrow? No. Isn't it better? Anyway, I, he just likes to mess with religion. He just does. And so we see in the pool of Bethesda, right, here's this case So, who's the target audience here? Who's the one that's being acted on in the miraculous? It's the man who had no faith or little faith, faith in water and angels stirring. So, again, this is one of those, it doesn't necessarily take your faith for those things to be activated. The example, um, I can't remember if Bishop shared this one in a men's group or a Sunday, but I remember the, the miracle where they, the four men bring the paralytic in, the house is so full they can't get in, so they tear the roof apart? And they're tearing the roof apart, and the four guys who have faith, because you don't tear somebody's house apart. I'm sorry. If somebody started ripping, the, this place is so packed they started ripping the roof, you hear, nah, and they lower the guy down. They'd probably, we'd have security out there, and, you know, you'd hear the noise of them running on the roof. Here's Jesus preaching in the full house. You know that there's debris falling. I don't care if it's a tile roof or it's a, if it's a hay roof or whatever it is that we've seen overseas. This stuff falling, it's interrupting His sermon, and, and then comes down, the, it says it lowered Him right in front of them. Now, Jesus says, hey, you're messing with the roof, you're out of order, get security. No, no, He says seeing their faith, seeing their faith, not the guy's faith. And I use the example of uh, Todd, uh, Todd Rickey, Jan and Terry's son in Brazil when we were there, when the guy had been shot in a drug deal, bullet lodged in his spine. He's a paralytic, and the four guys carry his wheelchair in and set that wheelchair in front of Todd. Todd tells you. He didn't have much faith. He goes, oh, God, I wanted the headache. I didn't want the paralytic. My first mission trip, give me a break. I'm tired. We flew all night. That's what Todd said. He was like, oh, God, I'm here. I'm a vessel. I'm a vessel. I'm here. Prays once, nothing happens. And he said to himself, I'll pray again, and I'll just bless him. And he said he was so tired from, I think, 30 hours of flight and everything. He says, I was falling asleep while I'm praying. I'm just here, and Todd is a great testimony. He was so humble. But the faith of the four that carried him in and set him in front of the vessel that all he is is the gloves on the master's hand. That's all he needs. And that activation, he jumps out of the wheelchair, and the next day he came up on stage. Right, Terry? He came up on stage, and he, he goes, I don't know. The bullet's still in there. I'm not supposed to ever be able to walk again, but I am here. And it was like the whole place went crazy. I think there were 8,000 people in the crowd. It was just wild. That was the same day my wife, we were on this trip, and it was, it was just a wild time. We're standing up front. There was a vineyard pastor. He was a big guy. He was about 300 pounds. He was as big, as wide, as he was tall, and a great guy, funny guy. I don't even remember his name now. And he's standing next to my wife, and this woman came up, and one of the team members were praying, and she said, all she said is, I have tumors on my uterus, and she said it in, in Portuguese. And so, the vineyard pastor's praying for her. My wife's there, and all of a sudden, the tumor, literally, I don't want to gross you out, but a bloody, ugly tumor. I saw it. I didn't see it fall out, but I was there right after, my wife goes, oh, my gosh. The, the tumor fell out of her body. I'm, I'm God's honest truth. He's there. He says, I don't want anybody. It was horrible looking. Ugly. Blah, blah. And the big guy's going, keep everywhere. I don't want to walk. have him walk in this. I go, what happened? Goes, I thought somebody got, you know. He goes, the tumor fell out. I said, what? And the woman, woman freaked out. She ran to the ladies' room, and several of the ladies ran after her. So the next day, everything's calmed down. Everything's, you know, they got the attendance. And she got up there, and she just gave her testimony. They prayed for me. The tumor I've been carrying, it's gone. I have no more pain. I ha- and so it's like, whose faith is operating here? So we see, that this is important for us because it, it, it doesn't necessarily take so much of our own faith as the faith. It could be the sovereign faith of Christ who operates because he can do it. He's such a good God. It could be the faith of those who brought you to the meeting the mama who's been praying for you, the daddy who's been standing in the gap for you, or it can be you. The woman with the issue of blood says, I have no other options. If I don't get to him, I'm not going to be well. So that's important as we look at these because in the, in the targeting of these um, miracles, at the pool of Bethesda, I thought if you really want to really get a whole lot of people invited, and ex- why, why don't you get in the water, Jesus, and stir it all up and get them all healed? That wasn't his time. Right? So there's not a whole lot of people that are impacted. Now, later in the testimony, when, they, when the Pharisees are looking, who healed you on the Sabbath? We got to get him. Right? And that, then, then the testimony is going, Jesus is hidden. And later he finds the guy who's now been healed standing well in the temple. <laughs> and he goes up to him. He says, They they questioned him. Who did it? I don't know. The man just told me, pick up my mat. Verse 11, he healed me. Pick up my mat and walk. Who said such a thing like that? They demanded. Verse 13, the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, oh, now you're well. Interesting statement. Stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who healed him. Then the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus, breaking the Sabbath rules. Jesus replies, "My father works all the time, and so am I." Then that gets him even more well, who do you mean your father?" and you know you know you're equal with God and so the whole thing goes on, and he deals with who's the authority, who's a judge He's given me power to heal the sick and so there is a testimony, obviously, but the main one that had received that was the man himself. See, he becomes a believer. I believe in you, the Messiah. All right, let's look at the next one. Feeding the, the multitudes, turn to chapter 6. Do you see John's progression here? He's, he's using all of these miraculous events, but he's sowing a tapestry of belief. So here now in the feeding the multitudes, again, very, um, very familiar one in John 6, 1. They cross over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, chapter 6, verse 1, to the Sea of Tiberias. Huge crowd kept following Him wherever He went. Because they saw His miraculous signs, He healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill, and He sat down with His disciples around. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. This huge crowd of people had come, and they were looking for Him. Turning to Philip, He says, where can we buy bread for all to feed all these people? He was testing Philip. He didn't pass the test, by the way. <laughs> Philip goes into natural like, because now Jesus kind of said, where are we going to buy bread, Philip? He goes, whoa, you know, the Harris Teeter's not nearby here, boss. There's, you know, it's a lot of money. There's about 5,000 men, which probably means there's about 10,000 people, kids, women, children, right? And so, this is… Get a, get a vision of a crowd of 10,000-ish. And Philip's sitting there with him, with the boys. He's teaching. He goes, hey, where are we going to buy the bread? And I'm sure Philip's going, oh, boy, we don't have that much. We've got to take up an offering. We've got to go there. We can't. He's in the natural, right? Philip says, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed him. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up, well, there is a young boy. He's got five loaves and two fish. But what good is that going to be with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down. Now, I shared this last week. I know um, that means if you've got 10,000 people, 12 disciples, so you've got a group of how many in your crowd in the math? 10 into, into 10,000. About 100? 100, 100 each, right? Is that, did I do it right? All right. 10,000 divided by 10... Is a, thou- a thousand. A thousand? Okay. So, okay, mom, you take that thousand. Bring them over there. Get that side of the hillside. Terry, go get that thousand. Bring them over. Tell them to come on over here. So, can you imagine the organization of all that? Okay, everybody, you 1,000 over here. Okay, you got this one, right, John? You got... so, they're all, so, you got the disciples. Then he calls the disciples up and he's got 12 baskets. He goes, now go feed them. Now, in the going, The fish and the loaves are multiplying. And as they're pulling out the thousand, can you imagine? They're hungry. You kids, remember the kids at communion? They're pulling the grapes out. (laughs) It's amazing. So you got the kids, right? They're probably doing this. They're doing it. And they're unloading it. And while they're doing it, it is multiplying sovereignly. Can you imagine being one of the disciples there for a moment? Like I remember a report from Heidi. She invited Heidi Baker in Mozambique. We had six missionaries there. in in Maputo, Mozambique, where the main base was at that time, she invited all the children from the local districts to come for the Christmas party. And they had been working for months. All the girls, we knew how many, they knew how many were going to come. All the girls are going to get a dolly, and all the boys are going to get a truck. They had it all set up. They had figured out how many would come. And then Heidi says, no, invite everybody. And they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Invite everybody. Whoa, whoa. Do you know? I, don't, I, rem, I do not remember how many children came. When they pulled into the boxes and pulled out a truck for every boy and a doll for every girl until the last child was there, everyone got one. The kids were there. My, they said, oh, my gosh. We just had a multiplication of gifts. And so this is what happens. The disciples, when they're all done, I love this part because, you know, for me it's like, duh, did this really happen? As they're walking back and they pick up the leftovers Every disciple has got a full basket of, of, each one has got a full basket of leftovers for tomorrow's breakfast. And as they're walking back. So that's why I think when Jesus later talks about the bread and the miracle of the bread, did you forget about the multiplication? Man, I am there. I, I remember these miracles. When I go back and look at my journals and, you know, you can wind down from the miracle you saw, right? You kind of get away from it and you forget the power of what, or the miraculous thing. And then you reread it or you retell it, and it's like, whoa, that's Revelation 19.10. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and you get pumped back up again. This happened to me when I'm telling you about these things, right? So it's like, okay, so we see in the multitude, this is the sovereign presence of God. Who's the main audience of faith on that one? Everybody, 10,000 folks. If they were coming then because they had heard He's healing the sick, well, now He makes food man, feed them and they'll come, right? And you get healed. No wonder his fame is like, right? So we see now whose faith was in operation? Jesus. This is a sovereign presence of God. The disciples, Philip, it would have been great if Philip said, boss, you can do anything. What do you want us to do? He goes, oh, man, we could work for months. He's in the natural. Oftentimes, this is a good one, I can tell you, We've been on 27, 29 different mission trips all over the place. I've had people come and say, God told me to go on the mission trip. I remember, I won't use her name, but a, a single mom came to me and said, God told me to go on this mission trip with you to Brazil. I said, awesome. She goes, the problem is I don't have access to a lot of money right now. I said, well, how much do you have? I have 25 extra dollars in my checking account. I said, that's good. Put it in. She Wrote the check. Well, you know, progressive. You're getting money that has to come to get ready. More and more money has to come in for the trip. Got to get your visa. Got to get your passport. Got so she it's she doesn't have enough money to finish all that. And so she came to me and she said, "Um, "I'm going to do worship." Um, One of the worship people said, "I want to be careful." One of the worship people said to her, "Do you have your money yet?" "No, I, I don't." And so the worship leader wrote a check, some of it, didn't tell her. And a businessman walked in, found me at the back of the church, turned and said, hey, by the way, does so-and-so have her money for the trip yet? I said, not all of it. Well, how much is she short? Do you know that within within 15 minutes, all the money was there? Now, in the natural, we're like Philip. Well, I got to pay the bills. I got, you know, taxes. I got this. I got that. And we, we get all the reasons in the natural that there's just no multiplication. God can't tell, possibly tell me to go there and not take care of it. It's all on me. So I'm just, I'm just encouraging us to take Him out of the box. In this sovereign move we see here, how about the one, let's turn to another one, a little bit, John, uh, John 6, 15, the walking on water. Now, this again, this is another familiar one. And we see that in verse 16, that evening the disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. As darkness fell, Jesus still had not come back. So they got in the boat and they headed across the lake towards Capernaum. Soon a gale swept wind down on them and the sea grew very rough. They were rowing three to four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward them in the boat. They were terrified. Called out, he called out to them, don't be afraid, I'm here. Then they were eager to let him into the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. Now, there are, if you want to turn to, let's take a look at this one. We'll look at the applications. Look at, turn with me to page, getting there. Yeah, page 19. Jesus walking on the water, there are three, two other accounts in the Gospels of this walking on the water experience. And if every one of us, when we've been on mission trips, when we see a miracle, every one of us saw it from a different angle, have a little different twist on it. And so, let's, when you look at it, we won't turn there, but in Matthew 14, in verse 22, we know that Peter gets out of the boat, right, and When he gets out of the boat, the wind stops. Why don't you keep your finger in John 6, and we'll just look there for a second. Turn back to Matthew 14 and beginning in verse 22. Immediately after Jesus insisted His disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side. So, this is one of those things Jesus says, get in the boat, get going. And He doesn't follow them, right? While they're going, He goes up in the hills to pray by himself. Night falls. He's there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples are in trouble far away from the land. This is in Matthew 14, 24. The wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus comes towards them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in their fear, and they cried out, it's a ghost. Jesus spoke to them alone. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, "Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out to you walking on the water." Yes, come. Boy, that activates right there. So Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water towards Jesus. When he saw that the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. "Save me, Lord," he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out, grabbed his hand, "You have so little faith." Jesus said, "Why did you doubt me?" When they climbed back in the boat, the wind Stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. It's amazing. That was a storm that the Lord allowed them to go through. After He had taught them the principles of it, it stopped. Interesting. Sometimes we pray, "Get us, stop the storm, stop the storm. I don't want this." And then you got to get out, walk through the storm. Pastor Michael shared this in communion today you got to walk through the storm. But once the principle's been learned, you got it. Okay, back in the boat, wind stops. And the revelation of you are God. Now, let's look at another account. Turn with me to Mark 6, verse 45. So in Mark 6, 45, here's another account. This is Mark's account of what happened. Jesus walks on the water. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted... His disciples get back in the boat. This is, that in itself is an interesting statement. They just did ministry. Jesus is going to go up in the mountain to pray, and He says, you, you guys, in the boat, start rowing. It says He insisted. This is like, the, He's the master. Get in the boat and start. Well, but it, get in the boat start rowing. And all of a sudden, it's a setup. These guys are commercial fishermen. Some of these guys, you know, Peter's no slacker, right? Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee. There's at least four commercial fishermen in that boat. They're used to stuff like this. I've been on the Galilee when it's whipped up. I'm telling you, it can be, you can see some waves in it. And that thing is, right? And so here we see that they're in, he tells them, get in the boat, start going. I'm going to up on the mountain to pray by himself. That night, disciples, disciples verse 44, 7, they're in the middle of the lake. Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble. Four miles out, Jesus is up in the mountain. See, the Lord sees. You can write that. He sees your trouble. In fact, He may have, he may have set you up for the trouble. I'm just saying, Okay. He saw they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the winds. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. That I don't understand. But when they saw him, sometimes you've got to call out to Jesus so he doesn't pass you by in your storm. You need to call out to him, right? In terror, we thought we were a ghost. He spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I'm here. I like that, I am. Then he climbed in the boat. The wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Wait a minute. This is walking on water, and how does the fish and the loaves get in here? The principle of faith. You're not alone. I have everything in hand here. Boy, if we could just say, Lord, Lord, would you put that in here? Come on. When that happens. So you see the account. One, we got Peter walking on the water. The other account says suddenly the wind stopped. John's account, now turn back to John 6. In John's account, suddenly they're transported. Verse 21, they were eager to let him in the boat. Get in the boat with us, right? And immediately, they're transported. Now, Galilee is pretty far. They're in the middle of the thing, and all of a sudden, they are at the shoreline. Now, the wind stops. He's walking on the water. We're immediately transported. I mean, who's the target audience in this one? The disciples. The twelve, I mean... They've got to be... Ba- when you're back at the ranch and you're having the after-action report, you can see Peter laying in bed and John laying in bed and it's like, what the heck just happened? Did you see... He was walking on the water. The wind just stopped. We get to the shore, like, did it go... Whoosh? I mean, the, the, the Scripture... don't. It's miraculous. And it's this supernatural sovereign presence of God. But what was He doing? Remember, one of, the, one of the purposes of the book of John is that you might believe. And He's got two categories. The disciples, so on page one, and others, us. And I've written these things 60 years after the Messiah is dead because I saw Him and I was there. I was there during the transport. I was there when He walked on the water. I saw the, the multiplication of the fish and the loaves. I saw it. You gotta believe this. Because if you believe it, you'll know he's the Christ. And then you will live forever. That's the what John is trying to. You can see it. The old man, he knows this, it's getting old. He's only got a little time left. He knows this. And he's got to transfer this revelation to all those that are coming after. Because he saw. The, the agnostics, those that are coming into the church. He saw all the false Christs that are coming up. He's seen the division. He's walked with Peter. And been Peter before Peter's crucified, upside down. And, and Paul is beheaded. He's walked with all those guys. He's the only one left. He says, I'm about ready to leave the scene. We've got to transfer this amount of revelation and information to the ones that are going to carry this until he comes. So this is why, under the revelation of the Holy Spirit, he is leading the revelation of these testimonies, these miracles, so that they're sufficient for us to read it and say, whoa. Well, let's look at the next one. If you look at the man who's born blind, turn with me, chapter 9, verse 1. This is on Number, page 21, healing of, the, of a blind man. In this context, why don't you look at the top of page 21 in your handout. In this context, Jesus has fed the 5,000. He's walked on water in John 6. His popularity now begins to wane. Some disciples have fallen away, but some have also believed. What was the cause of the walking away? Lisa. That sermon, it's like in John 6. Remember this one? Actually, turn back, keep your finger there 9. Turn back to John 666. 666. 6. Isn't that interesting? That is not by error, <laughs> I can tell you. In John 6, verse 66, this is the sermon he preaches that He tells them. Now, of course, we know now, looking back, that He's saying, I'm about ready to be the crucified one, that I'm going to shed My blood on a cross for you, but He preaches this ahead of that revelation to people that don't have the Holy Spirit who think of Him as He's talking cannibalism. He says in the Spirit discussion, unless you eat My flesh and drink My blood, you can't be Mine. So, they, this is another warning to us. Sometimes we hear things that this is the Holy Spirit saying that, and I don't have the biblical. I need. I believe in the Word, obviously. It needs to be anchored in the Word. But there can be things that happen extra biblically that, Lord, I, I don't know what you're doing here. I have no clue what you're doing. So the sermon comes out with, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, this is a hard thing. And in verse 66 of John 6, it says, well, let's begin in verse 60. It says, many of His disciples said, this is a very hard thing to understand. Who can accept it? Anyone? Jesus was aware the disciples were complaining, so He said to them, does this offend you? God ever offended you in your thinking? <laughs> I'm going to share this one about the man born, born blind. It offends me. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'll show you why. That's what you think. If you, the Son of Man, can ascend to heaven again, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginnings which ones would believe, and He knew which one would betray Him. Wow. Then He said, This is why I said to the people, Can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, Many of His disciples turned away and deserted Him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked them, Are you going to leave also? Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that You are the Holy One of God. What a great statement by Peter. I don't have a clue what you're saying or what you're doing, God but all I know is there's no one else like you. Boy, that is is good, honest faith. (laughs) Because there's times when we're walking through some stuff that says, God, I don't like this. I don't know what you're doing. I'm having a hard time seeing your goodness in this, and I am being challenged to trust you in the midst of this. But I don't have anywhere else to go but you. And therefore, I believe you're good and you're trustworthy. And I am not obviously seeing the whole picture. That is good faith. And that's what happened. But we know that many couldn't make this trip. That's why he said, Many are chosen, many are called, but few are chosen, and the way is narrow. So now let's look at this case in John 9. Verse 1, John 9 1. Jesus is walking along, and he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Let's, uh, let me back this one up. Um, if you look at what is the context of what just happened, in that whole place where he interchanges with them from the other uh, miracle, they are actually out to do him in. <laughs> they they, they want to kill him, right? They picked up stones. If you look at verse 59 of chapter 8, they're so upset with him and his statement about who he was. The Pharisees said, all right, we're done. He says in verse 58, I'm, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. <laughs> and it's the capitalized I am in red letters. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them, and he left the temple. So he's, he's just dodged stones. He's on his way out. They want to kill him. And on his way, he sees a man who's blind. Walking along the way, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? So get the context of this. They just escaped. The disciples get out of the, they get out of the temples like, Man, his sermons are really getting us. You know, they're not liking us much now. He's preached this thing in John six; people leave. And now he, now they want. He's telling them that he was born before Abraham, and they're throwing rocks at him. And can you see Thomas and them? Is like, I don't know what he's up to. You ever challenge the leaders? What the heck is the leader doing? He could just preach a nice sermon and 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 be user friendly, and and we would have more people in the congregation and. and they stop. Here you can see the man born blind, so that means he's sitting there. He's blind. They're walking by, and the disciples say, Rabbi, we got a question for you. What's the source or the origin of his blindness? What sin did he do, or was it his parents' sin that caused this infirmity upon him? Now, we know from a prior one, remember the man at the Bethesda, he said, you better not keep sinning or something worse can come on you. That would imply that there is an infirm spirit from open doors of sin and, and debauchery, all those things, those things can come on you. And there's a warning, keep the doors shut and walk uprightly so you're covered. But in this case, he now, they're saying, oh, okay, so we got that part. So who sinned on this one? And this, I got to tell you, this is the one I shared last week about my, my daughter's disability and my, son, my brother's uh, Down syndrome. I didn't like this. I've had enough of this, Lord. I've walked through this as a child, and now I'm walking through it as a dad, and so it's not fair. I don't think you should be doing this. And then when Katie starts operating in the prophetic, I repented, and I said, your ways are not my ways. I am not receiving this diagnosis of muscular dystrophy, but until you heal her, I stop judging you on your plan. You're God, and I'm not. I just surrendered it. And so This is the Scripture that helped me through that. He said, they followed. and said, who is the one that is responsible for this? Verse 3, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Do you like that? There's a way I'd like you, but suppose you're the parent or the blind guy. I got to tell you, honestly, um, it's, it's a tough one. Anybody? Am I the only one? Hello? John? Yep, John's been healed of cancer. We're waiting for the full manifestation of that. And, uh, but they encouraged John because he said everything that occurs in life, God's in, in control, and it's for His glory. That is encouraging. But there's a point. Go ahead. You got something, Adam? No? Okay. And so there's this place, However, however long it takes. But here's where I come down on this one. We live in this finite realm of time. My brother Jeff died at 62 of Alzheimer's, uh, dementia. When Down syndrome gets older, he lived way beyond his life expectancy. Man, I give my mom and dad all the credit. When he was born, I was told the doctors came in and said, would you like to have us institutionalize him? We'll take him off your hands. My dad said, not one of my sons will ever be raised by that. And my mom and dad, they, they poured into him And I know that my life, I was impacted in a positive way, brought me compassion. As an older brother taking care of him and all the fights and people calling him retards and the bloody noses I got and all that, there was a point of me, I know the Lord used all that. He can use all of it, right? But there's a place where now we've lived in this finite realm of time. At 62, my mom's had a vision. My brother is in a glorified body because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, all right? And so, she has seen Him in a fully glorified body with my Father and my Son. I like that. I haven't seen that vision, but I, I got it. I believe it. And so, God has how many years to pay back Brother Jeff for the glory? Because I have pictures of Jeff, those who knew him. When the Holy Spirit would come on him, he would rotate. I'd hurt myself, okay? Okay. He would dance. Those who knew him, would—you knew the Holy Spirit was on him. He was like flying in the Holy Spirit, and he loved the Lord. He just loved the Lord. And so God has eternity to tell Jeff, thank you. He had his prayer language. He loved the Lord. And so God has eternity in the glorification because Jeff affected many people, touched them in compassion. He glorified God in that, but he has all of eternity to pay him back for anything that he might have missed. And so, here we are in the natural, in Katie's disability, I told you, you know, I don't know how she can't ride a bike. I tried. She can't drive a car. She, she doesn't have spatial thing. There's all these diagnoses. And as a father, my heart is ripped open. But as a believer in the goodness of God, watching God operate on her prophetically, she has two loves, chocolate and the Holy Ghost. And usually the Holy Ghost is at the top. And so there is this point where we just need to get over ourselves and recognize He's God and we're not. Now, I know that preach is real easy, and it doesn't walk all that easy. But I'm telling you, if we can get there, it's so much more freeing for us because He's in charge, like John said. It's encouraging. All of it will be for the glory, regardless of how it comes out. So it says, let's pick up in verse 3, John 9, 3. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks that are assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud into saliva spread the mud over the blind man's eyes and told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as the blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was. Others said, no, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, well, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes, told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I washed my, wash yourself. I went, I washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know. He's blind, you know. <laughs> Come on, he was. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was the Sabbath. Oh, no, Jesus. you got to follow the rules. The Pharisees asked the man about it, so he told them, He put the mud over my eyes and washed it away, and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God. He's working on the Sabbath. But now, he could, not we know, but how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was deep division of the opinion among him. Now, well, Jesus will divide, right? Woohoo! But I want you to see. How can an ordinary sinner, which he was not, do such miraculous signs? Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who'd been blind and demanded, What what is your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could not see, so they called his parents. I'm going to verify this. They asked him, "Is Is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, "We don't know this is we know this is our son, and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see and who healed him." Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah could be expelled from the synagogue. That's when they said, "He's old enough, ask him." So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and told him God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner. The man replied, all I know, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do? They asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man explained, I told you once. Didn't you listen to me? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? (laughs) Oh, 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 wound him up. They cursed him and said, you're his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know, isn't that something? You are his disciple. That's what will happen when your eyes are open from the blindness. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't know even know where he comes from. Well, why? This is very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and you don't know where he comes from? Ooh. We know that God did not listen to sinners. But he is ready to hear from those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, the one who opened the eyes and someone born blind, if this man were not from God, he could not have done it. Ooh. You are a born, a total sinner, they, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he must have been excited, right? When he found the man You got got tossed out too? Yeah, me too. That's awesome. Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You, it's interesting, you have seen him. You're no longer blind. You see him. What a great statement. And he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe. The man and they worshiped him. If you were blind... You wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim that you can now see. So, who's the target audience here? Pharisees, but they rejected it, right? They were, they were given an opportunity, but they're hung up on their preconditions. You can't heal on the Sabbath, and sinners can't heal anybody. So, they're bound up in their mess, right? Sometimes God uses the one that is the most likely, <laughs> unlikely. Randy has a great teaching. When the Holy Spirit fell in his church the first time, Randy Clark Church, one of the notorious sinners in his church got the Holy Ghost the most. <laughs> it's like, that's not the way God's supposed to do it. Oh, really? Tell him. Yeah. So you've got to do works righteousness, and you've got to perform in order to get the Holy Spirit. No. No. So, the target audience here is Pharisees, but they reject it because they're bottled up in their box. The man who's, can you just picture this for a minute? The guy's blind. Jesus comes over, spits, makes a mud puddle, puts it on his eyes, and tells him to go to the pool. I don't know how far away the pool is, but he's blind, and he's sitting there with spitting mud on his eyes. Just get a picture of that. You know, go wash it, like... Okay, where's the pool, you know? Did he get somebody to lead him? But the guy says, hey, I, spit, mud, whatever, I'm going. And he gets there, and it's only after he does what he's told to do that he can see. That'll preach. So there's something about the going in the spit and the mud of the conditions of life that aren't what we want it to be, but I am desperate and I'll do what you said, Lord. So there's the target audience. The, obviously, the parents who, they shrink back. They don't want to be excommunicated, so they let their son be excommunicated. as our son. He's blind. We don't know. Talk to him. We're not going to get thrown out of church. And so he gets thrown out of church, and then he's in the church of the Messiah. I am a believer. I see him. What a target. Can you imagine the rest of that man's life? You think he's a witness for God? He probably went everywhere, he might have even had conferences, mud and spit conferences, right? Because I was blind and now I see it was on the Sabbath. I got thrown out of church. It was awesome. Jesus was there. And, oh, man, you should have saw how I felt when I got in the water and all this. I mean, you can just, I'm, can he, did he tell his kids? Did he get a job? Man, whoo! how many people heard his testimony? God, thank you. So it's like Jesus, all right? Let's turn to the next one. I've got a few minutes left. All right. Um, raising Lazarus from the dead. This one, again, is a very familiar one. If you want to... Um, let's see. What page is that one on here? Yeah. 26? Okay yeah Lazarus raised from the dead this again a very familiar scripture and, and i want to I want to accelerate because I really want to finish up with the multiplication of the fish so this is the last sign if you if you look at the middle of page twenty six this is the last sign before Jesus is resurrected before the crucifixion and resurrection and you're familiar with this one it's it's very um, very familiar probably preached a lot it says um but I want to, when you look at the bottom of page 26, Martha and Mary's response. Remember, they're friends. Jesus is the friend of Lazarus, one of His close friends. Martha and Mary, the, Jesus had stayed with the disciples in the house. So, they're aware, they, they are fully aware of Jesus' capability to heal people. They have no issue with that. In fact, they so know that He can heal that when the brother Lazarus is sick, right, they send, test, they send a messenger Go get the master and get him here because Lazarus is sick unto death. And you know the story. Jesus said, we're going to wait. He's, he just sleeps. And the disciples say, well, if he's sleeping, he's okay. And he goes, no, 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 he's dead. He's going to be dead. And then they just, tried, they just left the murder plot. And it says, Thomas, Thomas's reaction is interesting. He says, when Jesus finally, after the fourth day, and they know, he knows that Lazarus is dead, he says, now we can go. And Thomas says, let's go with him and die with him. Okay. Imagine these guys like, this guy, why don't we just have a, uh, we need some R&R, some time off, no rocks thrown at us, and don't stir up the Pharisees, don't heal anymore on the Sabbath, come on. You, you, and so Thomas reacts. let's just go and die with him, which is a great statement of he's, he's the Messiah. So Thomas was willing to die, even at that point, risk it all. So they get there, and of course the interchange. The first sister goes out, and if you'd only been here, you would have healed him. Is there doubt, faith, or a mixture here? It's kind of interesting. He says, um, when the, in the bottom of page 26, is when Jesus heard about, it said, the Lazarus sickness was not to end in death, no, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God would receive His glory. What is it? that we deal with sickness and the glory of God. Here's another example of that. But you see that, um, let's turn to page page 28. The interaction of Martha and Mary is about 20 verses there. Uh, The bottom there says, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Was this blame or was it a statement of faith? So they had sufficient faith based on what they had experienced before that he heals the sick but they didn't have sufficient faith to raise the dead. Now, they had been through it, right? He's wrapped up. He's in the tomb. It's four days. It's smelly and hot, and it's bad. His brain and all of his organ functions, they are destroyed. If you've ever seen a dead body after a few days in the heat, he's dead, right? And so, there's this, we don't have sufficient faith that you can do something with that, we did have sufficient faith that's another lesson for us a conditional thing he can only do this and he only does it this way no that's he can do anything and so when we look at that trust and of course we know in that resurre- i am the resurrection and the life and then he commands so who's the target audience here in faith in the raising of lazarus a whole bunch of people When that fame goes out, that this has been the resurrection of a dead man, a week later, he rides in on the donkey in Jerusalem in the prophecy of Zechariah that my son shall ride in a donkey colt, prophesied over 600 years before. He rides in on the colt, and they declare him Messiah. That that testimony of that miraculous raising from the dead was the fulfillment of the set-up promise to fulfill that prophecy from Zechariah. Perfect how God sets that up. and then, But then a week later, we got to kill him. <laughs> how do you do that, right? You go from there to there. But there's, there's the miraculous. So, again, when we see the target audience, that one, he is now about ready to pull the curtain on this whole thing, and he needs the fame of that revelation to go forward and also the murder plot to go deeper. He's causing also; They're all going to believe in him. we got to take him out. So the line of division, I want to finish in the last few minutes here. The, turn with me to John 21, what I'll call the, the eighth miracle. This is post-resurrection, after that. and I want you to think about this. You know the story. They, they all, G, Judas betrays him, 30 pieces of silver. They all betray him. Peter, who had said, I will die for you, actually pulled out a sword cut off the servant's ear. So he was willing. And when Jesus said, put up your sword, don't you know if you live by the sword, you'll die by it? And he'd cut off Malchus's ear and at that point put the sword away. So Peter's probably confused. Terry and I have argued about this. Why did Jesus say, how many swords you got? We got two. That'll be enough. Why did we have swords? Was it to, I believe, this is just me, I can't prove this. He knew what was going to happen and he wanted to get that ear cut off. Because it says he, oops, I'm gonna use your ears. On. he touches it and puts the ear back on. Now, how you still arrest him after that, I don't know. But anyway, that servant whose ear was hanging off, you know he's born again. After I got, I'm just believing he's born again after that. He follows the rules of what the high priest says. But that was a purpose again. Jesus don't waste anything. But Peter's confused, puts the sword up, and now it's like, you, we're not fighting? I told you I would die for you. I told you. I was willing. And then all the commotion, they drag him off, they beat him all night long, and then Peter denies three times. Now picture this, at the resurrection, as he's being, at the, at the crucifixion, I believe the only, the only disciple that I can find that was there was John. All the others are hiding out, they're being hunted. Judas has already hung himself, his guts pour out, right? He, so they've got that, Judas is dead, he's, cru- he's he's betrayed us. All the other ten are hiding out. John is with Mary. And I don't know what it's like for a mother to watch her son be tortured to kill, even though she had the prophetic words that your son, would, your heart would be pierced, Mary. But John is there, comforting Mary in the midst of the most tragic moment a mother could ever probably witness. Peter is hiding out. A complete failure. I have, I have failed. He's dead. I, I, I told him I would stay with him, and I didn't. Worse yet, I cursed him to a servant girl. I've denied him three times. Pick up now. He appears to them at least twice after this. Before, uh, before this third, this number eight, amazing miracle. So in verse. One of chapter 21, later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. In fact, he lists there's seven disciples that are there. And it says, Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, that's what he did commercially before. He goes back to fishing. Obviously, I got to go back to where I was. I'm turning back. Well, we'll come too, they said. So they went out in the boat, and they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who it was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they caught a haul in the net because they couldn't haul it in because the nets were so full with fish. Then the disciple said, I love this one. Then the disciple Jesus loved <laughs> it was John, right? He loved me, John. You know this competition. You just know it, right? They were always arguing who's greater, right? When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic. He had stripped to work, jumps in the water, and heads to shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the, lo- the loaded nets to shore, for they were about 100 yards from shore. 100 yards, so they're a football field length away. Peter dives in the water, swims in. Re- they recognize it's the Lord. When they get there, he, they find breakfast waiting, fish cooking on a charcoal fire. Bring some of the fish you caught, he said. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net, 153 large fish, and yet the net had not been torn. That's, that's amazing right there. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said, and then you know the interchange. At bre- after breakfast, verse 15, Jesus asked Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter replies, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Interesting. do want you see the progression. In the three times he's asked about the love relationship to overcome the three times of his betrayal, do you, do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. He repeats it. Do you love me? You know I love you. Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Third time. You know I love you. Even more disappointed. Peter was hurt because he asked the question again. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Care for my sheep. Feed my sheep. See the progression from the young babes that are coming in the church? Peter, I want you to take care of the whole crowd. Now, look at this last interchange because he gives a prophecy of Peter's death. He says, I tell you the truth. Now, this is after the interchange. Peter's probably racked. There's a new humility on Peter. He's not the brash guy anymore. I tell you the truth, Peter, when you were young, you were able to do what you liked. You dressed yourself and wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. We know he's crucified upside down. At that interchange, when Nero's about to kill him and behead Peter, we know from the history studies, they were, they were both murdered on the same day by Nero, And Peter said, I I am not, probably remembering this prophecy, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord, and they crucify him upside down. And then Jesus says to him, follow me. Now, the next part of it, I think, is humorous to me. Peter turns around and saw behind them, so obviously, they're, they're all there now for breakfast. Jesus, he sees the disciple Jesus loved. Remember, John's writing this. The one who had leaned over at Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Can you get a picture of this? Talk about rivalry, competition. I'm the greatest. No, you're the greatest. I was there. Remember, you know, I walked on water, John. You did. Yeah, but I was at the, res- I was at the crucifixion. You know, it's, it's just wild. And he finishes by saying this. Peter turned, what about him? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Now, Jesus is prophesying about long life of John, who's going to write this gospel and the book of Revelation in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, it's 85 to 90 AD. As for you, don't worry about him. Follow me. Boy, that's a good one. Stop worrying about the competition with your brothers and your sisters in the church and follow him. If he wants to raise him up and let him live forever, that's not your problem. That's a good word right there. And then he says, then the disciple, the one who testifies these events and recorded them. Now, we know that Jesus obviously didn't keep John alive until he came back. There were those who thought, well, he'll live for, until Jesus comes back. I just thought about this. You know, is it true that Jesus does not know the day or the hour that the Father is going to do the second coming. Is that true? Yes or no? That's in Matthew 24, Luke's, uh, Luke 21, Mark 13. Jesus said, I don't know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows. So, was it, was it possible at this point that Jesus is, I mean, he's God, he's been resurrected? I, I'm not saying that this is the way it is, but is it possible that he thought it was going to be a short season as well? Because they all may have thought it was going to be short. Peter thought it was going to be short right? He said, you know, the season, but not the day of the hour. So, hey, I don't know. But it's like he's not going to live until Jesus comes because he hasn't come back. And so that account is accurate. Verse 24, the disciples is the, this disciple is the one who testifies that these events have been recorded here, and we know that the account of these things is accurate. So when you look at these eight, I'll just pull this together. When you look at these eight miraculous signs. When you really dig into them and you really put yourself in it, you'll see the sovereign presence of God. You'll see the faith of the individuals. You'll see the faith of friends. And it is sufficient to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We have the eyewitness account of the man who was there. And he tells us that you believe these things You'll believe He's the Messiah, and you'll live forever. What a great example of the love of God for us who are waiting for His second coming. So let's stand, and we'll just be dismissed. Lord, I thank You that that You would preserve this wonderful Word for us. It's full of living power. It's encouraging. It says the secrets. We were talking about this. Why does God have secrets? Because He likes to share secrets with those who pursue Him. He tells secrets to his friends. We tell. We learn that in John 14 and 15. I no longer call you servants; I call you friends, because you are my. You do what I ask and say. Then and he went on. He said, "No greater love than this, that a that a man would lay down his life for his friends." So we become the friends of God, even if we aren't very friendly. Those who believe in Him, and so Lord, draw us into that place. Bring us into that revelation of the goodness of God, help us to struggle through and win the battles of faith, of faith wars. In John 16, when they finally, they they say, now you're speaking plainly to us, and Jesus says, do you finally believe? Three and a half years, you finally believe? After everything I've shown you, God, help us to break through in those faith battles, those wars of the things that we don't like and challenge whether you're trustworthy and good because we know you are. So I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, your mercy. Have an impact on everyone here. Let their dreams and visions and revelation bring them closer to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Next week we'll pick up, and Lisa's going to be coming. It'll be good.